Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Texas Hunter. Since 1954, Texas Hunter Products has produced the best engineered and finest quality feeders and hunting blinds in the industry. The Texas Hunter brand has become synonymous with quality and durability. By sticking to premium standards, the company delivers tough, long-lasting products that meet the real-life needs of anglers and hunters across America. Their fish feeders, deer feeders, hunting blinds, and outdoor accessories are among the highest rated in the industry. You can trust that your purchase from Texas Hunter Products will meet your needs for generations to come. To learn more, visit TexasHunter.com. And also brought to you by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients to your deer? If so, try Southern Buck Food Plot Blends. Your deer will love it. At Southern Seed and Feed, they specialize in making textured feed for horses, cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, chickens, small animals, and wildlife. Their products are proven irresistible, scientifically formulated to promote excellent herd health and hunter satisfaction. They supply products to various distributors throughout the South. So visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. I'm your host, Joe Bayer, here today with my co-host, Butch Theory. Or Are you the host today, Butch? It doesn't matter. I don't care today. Okay. All right. Well, today I'll be the host. and. Cool. Uh, that works. <laughs> you know, man, uh, we were up on your place, I guess it was last late September, October. Your sawtooth oaks were just getting hammered, hammered by wild hogs. And oh, yeah. we did some work on them, but I don't know that we've made much of an impact really. Nope. I'm still seeing them, unfortunately. They're still there. Yeah. Minus the sawtooth, obviously have not dropped yet. But yeah, the pigs have not left, unfortunately. Yeah. And you know, I mean, gosh, you you guys probably planted your sawtooths couple decades ago i remember i remember seeing them out there in the tubes you know and yeah at the time that was really kind of what everybody was what you did yeah Yeah, that's what you did yeah we planted between between 2000 and 2005 i believe whenever we got the majority of ours out to line our green fields with them yeah and uh so you've had them now for basically 20 years and they produce pretty good don't they they do man i've definitely noticed that they can skip a year here or there and uh, they definitely have slack years and um, they seem to produce pretty quickly, you know, in the fall. So sometimes you might climb up in a tree on October 15th and no saltoose on the ground. Right. Yeah. Well, that's not ideal. But uh, yeah, today we wanted to really kind of compare them to some other food plot trees out there, specifically the chestnut. And to do that this week, I want to welcome back Ian Wallace from Chestnut Hill Outdoors to the show. Ian, good to uh, good to talk to you again, man. First off, you know, for folks that didn't hear you on here last time, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, thanks for having me back, guys. My name is Ian Wallace. I am the co-owner of Chestnut Hill Outdoors with my brother, family business and my mom and dad started the nursery here in Alachua, Florida in the 1980s. And um, my great-grandfather was Dr. Dunstan, who bred and hybridized the Dunstan chestnut that, that we distribute, you know, across the nation today. And for, you know, just it's, you know, high quality food plot relevance. Uh, so our nursery has had uh, a lot of different phases and, uh, you know, we've done everything from chestnuts in the beginning to fruiting and flowering trees. We moved through landscaping, shrubs, hardwoods, fruits, flowering, tropical, all the way through, you know, the nineties into the two thousands. And, 
Um, and we, you know, really stumbled into the food plot industry because uh, my dad was at a trade show at one point, and um, it, this was a long time ago. And he was talking to an orchardist, uh, a chestnut orchardist, who was complaining about how how much the deer were eating his crop. Mm-hmm. It just was eating mm-hmm. half the crop overnight. You know, he was taking metrics on how much food was being stolen from him overnight by his, you know, local herd. And uh, it was almost half of his crop. I mean, it is a lot, you know, this is, this is 10,000 pounds kind of thing. Wow. Wow. And 5,000 pounds missing overnight. <laughs> and so somebody next to him said, Hey, you're selling to the wrong people. You don't want people who don't want deer on their property. How about people that do want deer on their <laughs> property? Yeah. You know, that just sort of was a shift and kind of opened our eyes to the true nature of what the chestnut is and what food trees, edible trees, masked trees really are, which is a really important part of wildlife nutrition. And so that's kind of what we've been honing in on and what I've been able to, you know, learn about over my time, you know, taking over the nursery and stuff. So that's a little bit about us. Yeah, that's a cool backstory. You know, today, what we want to talk about is the differences between sawtooth oaks and chestnut trees. And the reason why is that, gosh, I can't tell you how many properties I'm on where around the perimeter of the food plot. There's a whole bunch of sawtooth oak trees, either just planted or some of them uh, maybe been there a couple decades and talked about it a little bit earlier in the show, you know, on Butch's place, they've had experience with sawtooths and oh yeah, we have a ton of sawtooths, you know, gotten them to maturity and really just kind of always thinking ahead. You know, if you're planting trees, you're thinking in terms of decades and just trying to make the best decisions for our properties, really. And so when you start to think about production. I think most of the people that end up looking into sawtooths are looking because they want a tree that's going to produce acorns as quickly as possible. And they want a bunch of them. They want as much as they can get. So how long does it take a sawtooth to begin to produce acorns? And how would that compare to to a chestnut? Yeah. So a sawtooth, just like you're saying, uh, is and has been one of the most widely planted trees for mask sources, for food plots for a long time. In fact, even back to the 80s, they selected sawtooths because of how quickly they produced, how much they produced, and they engineered and selected some varieties. I don't know if you've heard of like the gobbler sawtooth, mm-hmm. which is a sawtooth that's a little bit smaller nut, um, a little bit more of like a dwarf sawtooth that was, uh, I think, selected in the 80s. So, so sawtooth has been around for a while as a tree because it produces acorns in anywhere between six to eight years, five at the very minimum, and uh, maybe, you know, up to 10 years. So it's a really quickly producing oak, you know, in comparison to some of our native oaks that can take 15, 20, 25 years before you see your first acorns. So obviously that is a really sought after thing However, there are some drawbacks to it, and we can get into that. However, you know, the the sawtooth oak is not a native oak. It comes from Asia, uh, China, Korea, Japan, and the Himalayas. It was introduced, I think, in the 1800s, I want to say, and, you know, has been a widely planted tree for its wildlife uses. However, it has some drawbacks because of it. And we can get into a little bit more of that later, but 
you know, in comparison to chestnuts, the chestnut is a native tree to the United States and it produces from seed in three to five years, which is really quick for a hard mast tree. You know, I think that, you know, most people don't look or think about a chestnut tree because the chestnut tree was wiped out, uh, you know, in the, in the early 1900s and kind of was forgotten about by many generations. Mm-hmm. You know, my great grandfather worked really hard to reintroduce the chestnut. Um, but once it was wiped out by a chestnut disease, a chestnut blight, many generations just poof, totally forgot about that knowledge, even though it was one of the largest ecological disasters in, in American history. So, you know, I tend to lean towards more native varieties and trees. And yeah, I think that uh, the, the chestnut is a quicker and kind of more more appropriate, sounds more like appropriate it. tree to plant, uh, you know, in, in our local ecosystem. Yeah, better fit ecologically. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that production time, what do we all want? We want bigger and more, right? I mean, we want it to produce faster and we want it to produce a lot. When you, you know, you, you'd say there chestnuts, maybe three to five years, sawtooths, six to eight, maybe five to 10 years, if you know, really good or really bad. Either way, uh, it sounds like chestnut, you know, kind of edges ahead there in terms of time to production. What about overall mass production? So uh, once they are producing, how much can you expect, say, a uh, a mature chestnut to produce versus, say, a salted? So let's maybe use like that that 10 year time frame, or maybe, you know, you know, the numbers for each year, but do you think that that sawtooth is going to produce more or less than the chestnut in terms of total mast over time? Yeah. So, you know, as far as like weight per year, you know, oak trees are going to end up producing, I think more than a chestnut would in as a single tree to some degree. Now, it just all depends on time of year, the rainfall and weather conditions. And, um, you know, some years an oak may produce significantly less. Some years a chestnut may produce significantly more. You know, all of this is sort of like generalized statements. Um, Mother nature likes to ebb and flow, I think. So I do want to clarify that. Um, when we talk about production, but a sawtooth oak can produce up to a thousand pounds in a year on a good year. I would say that a chestnut can produce probably anywhere around, you know, 200 to 500 pounds, maybe in a, in a good year, you know, upwards of over, you know, 300, 400 pounds. Um, but I typically talk about it from an acreage standpoint. Um, so chestnuts can produce a thousand to two thousand pounds per acre. However, it can be pushed if they're more of an orcharding setting. They can they can do more than that if they're really primed and pruned and fertilized nicely and made sure that the branches are getting correct sunlight. Um, but in a wildlife setting, probably more like you know a thousand to two thousand pounds per acre. So. Then a native oak is probably going to produce a little bit, maybe a little bit more than a sawtooth at maturity. Now, keep in mind, when I say maturity, a chestnut starts to get to that maturity at, you know, I'd say about 15 years. Uh, A sawtooth oak, maybe 15 to 20 years, it's starting to get to like, quote unquote, maturity. Whereas some of our more native oaks, 
the larger, slower growing oaks get to maturity at 40 to 80 years. And that's where they're going to see their peak production. And they can have, you know, similar to the sawtooth, a thousand, probably 1500 pounds a year. And so, you know, over the lifespan, you know, the American chestnut, the original American chestnut was just like an oak of a very long living tree. And, you know, there were probably hundreds of years old and would produce just an incredible amount of food over its lifetime. We sell the Dunstan chestnut and produce the Dunstan chestnut, which is a hybrid American Chinese chestnut, which probably has a lifespan of 100 to 200 years. It's hard to tell because we hybridized this chestnut in the mid 1900s. And so we haven't really had any die off because of age yet. So we're, we're still kind of like watching to see when, when that starts to happen. As an aside, what's the oldest one you guys have there on the nursery? Oh gosh, there are some of the original are probably in the first planting site in North Carolina, which I haven't been to and haven't looked at myself. Um, we have some that are, were planted in the fifties and they are as healthy as can be That's and cool. continuing to grow. They're probably about 60, 60 feet, um, yeah. and, and could be growing some, but I would, I would imagine they've reached almost their terminal height at this point. Unlike the American chestnut, which can grow, uh, it doesn't really have much of a terminal height, kind of like the red oaks and mm-hmm. the cedar at the Northern California, they, or sorry, the cedars, they, they just keep growing and growing, but the Dunstan chestnut is probably around 60 feet. So a sawtooth oak, they will live to about 100 would be kind of when they start to deteriorate, you know, maybe older as well. Whereas our native oaks live to be anywhere between, it depends on the variety, but 200, 300, 400 years old in our area. So as far as production goes, what produces more? Yet there's some more layers to that that I'll go into. So chestnuts produce every year. And they produce heavily every year. Sawtooth oaks tend to produce more frequently as well. Whereas our native oaks, they produce sometimes every other year, or even they'll skip another year and produce like on a third year. Right. Which means that it has, you know, a a huge production on the years that the, the mass drops, but you know, it's on the third year. So it's not producing as much over time, maybe as a chestnut would, since the chestnut consistently produces every single year. Yeah, it makes sense. Definitely does. Right. Same as the sawtooth oak could skip a year as well. So as far as the lifespan goes, a chestnut is always going to produce the same amount, very high production on a yearly basis for many, many years. And another wrinkle that would go into that, Uh, you know, I can talk a little bit more about this as well at some point, but just to touch on it, the sawtooth oak, since it produces so much, so many acorns and it produces more frequently than our native oaks, there is some talk of concern for the sawtooth being uh, potentially invasive. And, you know, we're just starting to see signs of that. And we're just starting to see some research into that. Um, I'm not here to say that they are or aren't invasive, but, you know, that is some concern to think about when you're planting. We've seen how that's gone with a lot of other 
plant and animal species. And uh, yeah, there's always unintended consequences. It seems like when something becomes an invasive, it may have been sure brought does seem here. Like it. And the idea was to stop erosion. You know, you think about kudzu, it's like, all right, let's plant some kudzu. It does a great <laughs> right. job of stopping erosion. And it does yeah, that a was great, a great job, idea, you know? wasn't it? And, and yeah. same, th same thing with wild hogs. You know, you look at them and you say, well, I love eating wild hogs. They're great. They're good sport hunting and good to eat and all that. And But the damage they do to those native species is, uh, is not, is not a good thing. So right. yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I mean, if I can, I really don't want to introduce non-native species if I don't have to certainly a consideration of mine. I'd like to know a little bit more about that before we move on. Um, I know you said you're not, you know, not saying one way or another, whether they're invasive, what are some signs and ramifications of that? I, th I think the the easiest sign to take a look for, and it could, this could vary on region to region too. But a sign to look for would be seeing a bunch of seedlings popping up around, you know, a planting site. So if you've planted a bunch of sawtooths years ago and you go back to that planting site and there's a seedlings just coming up all over the place could be a sign. You know, if there's no seedlings at all, then, well, obviously it's not very invasive and that, you know, it just goes from region to region. And like I said, I, I think that there's research to be looked into. I, I know that there are, there's some research where people are really adamantly saying, yes, it, it is invasive, but I, I can't say that that's necessarily, you know, true at this point from the research that I've, I've kind of read into, but, you know, another thing to go into it could lean the opposite way is since it is not from this region. It's also not adapted to some of the, you know, inputs that we get. So tropical storms and winds in the South can break sawtooths because of how quickly they grow. They're such quick growers that they branch so long and so quickly that, you know, in their natural habitat, they wouldn't have anything that would push it down. But since we have frequent tropical winds like we do in the South, that could deter them and break them, you know, more frequently. Um, whereas maybe in some other states, that wouldn't be the case. Definitely makes sense. So seedlings, I would say watch out for seedlings in your, in your planting site. Um, and if they're, you know, all over the place, then maybe you want to think about whether or not to I mean, it depends if you want to remove. I mean, that's quite the cost. Yeah. I mean, what would you do? I guess. Would you just cut them down? Fire yeah. up the chainsaw, Captain. I guess so. Fire up the chainsaw, <laughs> Captain. Yeah. Right. Like Joe was saying, I do. We have a ton on our place. We, we started in 1999 and the idea was to kind of outline our greenfields with the sawtooths. And we've done that a ton. I think they're probably in ages ranging from 18 to 22 years old. And they do, I have noticed that they can skip years. And one of the biggest problems that I have with them is it seems like come October 15th, they're nowhere to be seen. Mm -hmm. um, and another problem that I think, I don't know if it matters or not, but preseason, man, our hogs are terrible. And I think the sawtooths are what brought the hogs to our place, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. Well, it gave them the food source to hang out, even if they were just passing through. Yep. But like you said, I mean, that, that's kind of a bummer. I mean, I guess depending on your climate and when your seasons start, that could be an issue. And I think every year is different. It seems like sometimes you climb a tree and, you know, October 15th and there's none to be seen. I think there are, it just depends on the year, like you're saying. Uh, it depends on the yield and the year and the water and the drought and all that stuff. But it's definitely an issue. They uh they seem to drop very early. When does the chestnut typically drop? Yeah, so the chestnut has a pretty similar window to the sawtooth oak. In here in Alachua, Florida, we're way south. We I mark when we start to pick up 
by my dad's birthday every year, which is August 20th. It's uh, there's always nuts starting to drop August 20th. Mm. So that's early. And they, we extend probably into mid to late October, just depending on weather. As you go further North, that season is shortens and may extend later. So in the North, you probably are starting in September and maybe extending further out into October. I, I wouldn't say much further than that, unless it's kind of a, you know, an off year, which can happen. Um, so, you know, the chestnut is, I, I think, well, there's a few things. Chestnuts are extremely attractive to native wildlife because, like I said, it's a food source that was and now isn't anywhere in the eastern United States, whereas before there were millions of acres of chestnut abundant across the whole eastern hardwood forest. Just like you'd think about an oak tree is available. Well, chestnut was just as widely available. So native wildlife is searching for that nutrients and is used to that nutrients being there, but it just isn't here anymore. So when you reintroduce that, it's very natural for wildlife to find it and seek it out. And then there's some really interesting stuff. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about it, I I think, in a little bit about the tannins and how deer much prefer chestnut over eating acorns. But, you know, that that's one side of it. I do think chestnuts are very attracting. But, you know, I'll go into my philosophy on food plots, food plot trees specifically. You know, when when I think about a food plot, I like to think about it from a biological standpoint, you know, and the earth, the the mother nature, God, whatever you want to call it, has provided this ecosystem with food from all year round. There's food available provided by nature. And there are different tree species that produce as early as, you know, early spring, Uh, all the way through the summer and then into the fall and then some later even maybe into some of those you know early hunting seasons and I think that if your property has food available on it for all year round or as much of the growing season as possible the wildlife is gonna learn that it's going to learn to stay on your property and feed there and become healthy there and grow there and then teach the fawns to stay on your property um, or around your property. Um, because, you know, I think in our in our day and age, it is kind of like, an, you know, a, a, there are food deserts created by the variety of food that was available has been reduced um, because of monoculture farms and monoculture uh, like ecosystems that us humans have spread out to build. And you know, all that, although that is very comfortable and efficient for us, it is not comfortable and efficient for wildlife. And so if you can reintroduce those local food sources into your ecosystem, you're putting food into this desert. And I think that wildlife is, is just like, it's looking for it. It's excited to find that. And it's going to keep coming back over the years when that's there. Well, and, you know, going back to what you're saying, you know, about when, when those, chestnuts produce and that's a time of year where you know usually your native oaks they're not quite hitting the ground yet i mean there's it they kind of do you know coincide with each other but that august time frame is it can be a, a stressful time for wildlife 
And so that's great, you know, that you've got a food source that not only is dropping, but it's dropping going into the start of your seasons. And that means that these animals are going to have time to find it, get used to it. And for me, you know, that gives a more hunting opportunities, which is a big part of why I own land and want to manage my land better, you know, to have more wildlife. I like the idea of how consistent it seems like the chestnuts are. That's a big deal as well. And I like what you're saying, Ian, about having a consistent food source on your property, because like you said, you know, these, these animals get used to, well, you know, there's always food over there. If you got it all, why would you leave? I don't have to go that far. And then if they learn that from the time they're fawns, they get used to that pattern and it makes things easier on us hunters for sure. Yeah. Guys, let's take a quick break and hear from this week's sponsors. The Hunter's Mate Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. Finally, a trail cam viewer that actually works. Lowdown's high-speed trail cam viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7-inch viewers. Lowdown is a dedicated viewer slash photo manager made for one thing and one thing only. Fast, uncomplicated viewing of your trail cam images and videos. Lowdown makes viewing large numbers of images fast and easy. It allows you to easily delete individuals or groups of selected images. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. And also brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. At bucksisland.com, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass, pontoon, and bow rider style boats, new and used motors, as well as kayaks. They love trade-ins, which provides a steady stream of used boats, and they can rig your boat at their 18-bay service department, or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory-trained and certified technicians, so visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. Ian, you were talking about palatability. I want to go back to that a little bit. Has there been any research? You know, I mean, like, I hope most of the people listening to the show have had the opportunity to sit in a hardwood bottom or a hardwood forest surrounded by oak trees that are dropping acorns and then but you're in the one that they want because it's an amazing thing to watch wildlife and the really cool thing about sitting on a a hot oak tree is that it's not just deer i mean it's deer and squirrels and raccoons and turkeys and pigs if you got them and all kind of birds i mean it, it it's really just the hub and you'll be in a bottom where it's like man everything in here looks the same but they are going to that spot Mm. are chestnuts more palatable to wildlife than not just sawtooth, but just oaks in general? Because like, you know, your white oaks are definitely more palatable than your red oaks. I've seen that firsthand. What about chestnuts? How do they fit in? Yeah, so definitely chestnuts, the, the main thing that separates chestnuts from oaks, which chestnut is closely related to oaks, Um, But the biggest thing that separates the palatability is that oaks have a lot more tannic acid or tannins while chestnut don't. I love to go out and grab a chestnut and munch on it when they're dropping in September. They're sweet. They taste good. I personally actually don't really prefer the roasted chestnuts. They're great. They're super sweet because it kind of caramelizes the sugars in there. Um, But I like a raw chestnut. It's great. Yeah. And whereas oaks have a bunch of tannins, you're not going out and eating acorns. I'm not <laughs> a little bitter, a little bitter. <laughs> yeah. The, the white oak has less tannins in it. The red oak has more tannins in it and there's varying levels, but tannins or tannic acid 
is a natural deterrent for trees to try to shoo off the predators that are eating its, its, its food, its seed. There's been a lot of studies actually around it, but you can search it up, but there's titanic acid actually is not the best for a forging animal's gut. Um, There's some research that shows that a lot of tannins can um, disrupt the biome. As you know, how they're, you know, a foraging animal tends to have a biome that's breaking down all of that material. It has biotics that are, that are helping its gut break it down. And those, those tannins actually kind of kill off some of that biotic system in there. So a lot of tannins are very healthy for foraging animals. Not just that, but they also taste not great as we know. I don't know if you've ever tried an acorn. I have when I was oh, yeah. a kid. Man, Unfortunately, it's, yeah. It's not it's not enjoyable. Well, and like when the Native Americans, you know, they they used some some of them used them as a food source and they went to great lengths to leach out those tannins and they didn't just walk around picking them up and eating them. I mean, it was a big a uh, big undertaking to yeah. to do something with them. And they were trying to get rid of those tannins, like you say. Right. And, and that's probably why too, like at that time of the year, your animals, yeah, they're going to come in there and they're going to feed on acorns for a while, but then they're moving on to something else because they probably can't take that, that much. much of it. You know, right. it's yeah. kind of like they get a little bit and then they got to move on, do some other browsing and then come back to it. You know, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, oaks are a part of our natural ecosystem and acorns are, you know, eaten by wildlife and are um, meant to be a part of that food source and are an important part of it too. You know, they have really high fats and they have carbohydrates and some proteins that are good. Um, But the trees are, you know, I like to think of it as, you know, if you think about like a, a caterpillar that like a big red caterpillar, you know, you know, that that caterpillar is, poisonous because it's red and it's saying, Hey world, like I'm, I'm not to be eaten, you know, don't mess with me. Or like, uh, you know, coral snake is extra bright because it's really poisonous, you know, and other species try to mock the color of the, of that coral snake. Cause it's, it says, Hey, like I'm poisonous. Well, the tannin is the same thing in a sense. It's the Oaks system to try to deter animals from eating it. It's saying, Hey, I taste bad. I'm really bitter. Don't eat me. I'm poisonous for you because it wants its oaks to go on and reproduce as well. I mean, gosh, incredibly interesting, interesting. but nature is smart. The chestnuts don't care. They're like, here, eat all my babies. It's fine. You know, I, I I guess so. (laughs) I'm not so sure about why that is, but, but, you know, fortunately for wildlife, they, they are extremely, they're extremely sweet and they taste great. And, you know, on the other side of things, deer have very, very sensitive taste buds. You know, it's funny if you'd asked me a long time ago, hey, does deer have more sensitive taste bud than you do? I would have said, no, there's no way, you know, I can taste the difference between a chipotle pepper and a normal pepper. I know, you know, I'm smart, I'm a human, but no, actually deer have many, many, many more taste buds than we do as humans and are very sensitive to those tannins as well. Let's talk about climate a little bit. You know, sawtooths are popular here in the Southeast. I'm not sure about other parts of the country. You may know that. And, you know, kind of going back to 
providing something for wildlife that is supposed to be there. That's what's kind of really interesting about the chestnut is that it should be here. There should be chestnuts on your property. Mm-hmm. If you're in the Eastern United States, like you should have some. What climates do sawtooths work well in? And, you know, is that similar to the chestnut or, you know, are there any differences there where say chestnuts will work, but sawtooths won't? Yeah, they're both zones, USDA zones five through nine, which is generally right around north of Orlando and Florida to kind of partway through Michigan, depending on some areas, a little, a little bit more Southern, you know, the very bottom tip of Minnesota. And, you know, I also like to draw a line up the, the border between, you know, Kansas and Missouri, kind of up north and south of that. And that's kind of like a, a, a dry border. The further out into Kansas you get, in Oklahoma you get, it's a little bit too dry. Um, but that the rest of that eastern United States, from that point uh, east, you can grow both very viably. Um, they actually have a pretty similar range. Um, the, the, you know, the difference being maybe a, a little bit of that, like I said, that fast growing sawtooth may have some issues with a tropical wind, you know, was, the quicker it grows, the, the more brittle. They're kind of brittle, I guess, almost like a pecan tree in a way, like they yep. just kind of get busted. Have y'all experienced that with yours, Butch? I was trying to think a minute ago whenever Ian was talking about that. Man, it's hard to say. You know, Sally took down a lot of trees, but it was some bigger oaks as well. And it was so saturated that it's really hard to say. I haven't mm-hmm. noticed that in particular, to be honest. Yeah. Sure. Well, you know, it's it's just interesting learning about the chestnut and, and now, of course, the Dunstan chestnut, which is blight resistant, you know, whereas, you know, the American chestnut, I don't, I don't is it? considered truly extinct i know there are you know there's still well i guess root systems that try to send up trees and but they're not able to be viable is the american chestnut extinct you know technically no it's still there um just like you said the root systems are still perfectly alive and if that blight magically disappeared then those forests would come back probably fairly quickly but unfortunately when they for a few years are exposed to the air the blight is an airborne uh, spore-driven disease, and it inoculates pretty quickly and yeah. uh, tends to kill That's them before they can even really, you know, flower and and fruit. And so the Dunstan's a hybrid between the the Chinese chestnut and the American chestnut, right? Which makes it resistant to this blight. Yep. We talked a little bit about the differences in the sawtooth and and the Dunstan and those lifespans too. You know, we talked about the production timing. We talked about palatability and we talked about those those lifespans and how long it's going to take uh, to produce the amount of tonnage you want. It sounds like really the chestnut stacks up with the sawtooth, if not beating it, kind of in, in each category. For your folks that have had them out there, you know, have you had some on properties where you had both, where you just kind of say, look, let's, let's plant a variety? Or why would you choose one over the other? I mean, obviously you guys produce chestnuts but if you had to pick which one would you pick yeah you know i i would hands down even if i wasn't you know selling chestnuts i would recommend chestnuts to be planted over sawtooths and you know we've had a couple different instances where we've we've made we've done some tests we in 2010 or 11 um, did some tests with dr deer 
James Kroll in Texas, and he set up some acorns and chestnuts. And we watched the the deer approach, and they chose the the chestnuts a hundred to one over acorn every time. Just walked right past the acorns, and so you know, I think that there there's some sort of smell, genetic draw, interest in the flavor. They just prefer chestnut. Yeah. And like I said, I do think that they eat oak, but I think they eat oak out of necessity and would rather not and would probably rather eat smaller amounts of it because of that issue with the tannins. Um, So chestnut is a superior tree and because of its consistent production and because it's such a hardy tree, um, it is also fast growing, gets to the production age in three to five years quicker than most oaks or all oaks. Um, it's just a, it's a better tree for a food plot and will last for many, many years to come if you take care of it correctly. Well, Ian, you know, here we are in July. When's the best time to plant? I guess, are most trees the same in terms of when you should plant them? Yeah, I think that most trees are within the same planting windows and fall is a fantastic time to plant in fall. If you plant the tree, it's starting to go a little cooler. uh, The heat's starting to subside and it will have less water requirements as you know, the heat dies down and it gets cooler and it starts, the trees start to go dormant, lose their leaves they'll have significantly lower water requirements over the winter, but the roots continue to grow even in those dormant months. So you're kind of giving your tree a head start. And in the springtime, when they flush back out again, um, that root system will be established and, you know, ready for that heat the next summer. That's one important, you know, part of it. They also can be planted in springtime too, but, um, Yeah, the different timings in the north, it's kind of coming up to that window where you should get ready to plant. You know, you need to plant at least least a month before a month or so before you get your first freezing temperatures. And when you're in Michigan, you know, that's coming up in really later August, September. So (laughs) jealous. I know. I wish Uh, it was going to be here for us. (laughs) And then the, you know, as you push further, I'd say September for the central states, um, September into October. And then in the southern states, probably November, because it's hot and we're still getting 90 degree temperatures in October here um, in Florida. But you want to wait until that real bad heat starts to subside and you plant in uh, in the south November into December almost, you know, into January's in the South all year round is okay to plant. Well, like you said, it's, it's that time. Um, if folks are looking for more information on chestnuts, the Dunstan chestnut specifically, uh, really trying to decide if it's right for them, uh, or just locate a place where they can pick up your trees. If they are planning on planting some chestnuts this fall, what's the best way for them to reach out to you guys or, or find your trees, uh, at retail? Yeah, you can, uh, you can check out our website, uh, and Facebook and Instagram, Chestnut Hill Outdoors and chestnuthilloutdoors.com. We ship, we ship mail order. So we can ship anywhere in that Eastern United States. You can just go to chestnuthilloutdoors.com, go to the shop and you can see everything that we have available. Uh, We also ship to Walmarts and select Rural Kings. 
And that will start to go out sometime in August through October. And we really only ship, you know, a select portion in those time periods. So it's important to get to the store and get those trees because they sell out super quick. Um, especially in the fall, we have a little bit less available than in the springtime. So, you know, it's important to get get there before they're they're um they're picked up. And yeah, we also available pickup on the farm, which you know. Uh, is probably the cheapest option. You just got to get to us if you live far away. Right. But, you know, we have, you know, a wide amount available for pickup here too. You're kind of on the way to Disney World. That could make a, a trip down there almost tolerable. Uh, you know, that's that we have a lot of guys who do that actually. <laughs> they say, hey, you know, honey, we're going to take the kids down to Disney. You know, <laughs> got to get my trees. <laughs> Oh, oh, by the way, hey, can we take the trailer? Right. <laughs> Why are we bringing quick, that trailer with us? Well, you just never know. <laughs> quick, quick pit stop. All right. Man, well, I really enjoyed that. Very educational. We enjoyed yeah. it. I always enjoy talking about the chestnut. It's an interesting story, man, that I, I like you said, it's kind of crazy to think that there is that many it trees is. and it's really just being forgotten. We lost it from the landscape and not a lot of people talking about it. So I, I always enjoy talking about that with you, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me out. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. Don't forget about our sponsors and make sure you support them when you're out in the marketplace. Boaters List. Do you own a company that needs to reach boaters, anglers, and marine enthusiasts? Sign up for free today to grow your business on BoatersList.com. Boaters List is your new reliable and fast resource designed to link everyone to everything on the water. BoatersList.com will always strive to make it better on the water. Butch, uh, I kind of like the idea of being able to walk out into my food plot and pick up something I can eat. Yeah, for sure. I've definitely never heard Ian say that he just likes just snacking on them sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Right? Yeah. I mean, if it's more palatable to you, yeah, imagine the difference that an animal can taste. Um, Got to be exponential, I would think. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, you know, you just don't hear a lot about chestnuts. Because, yeah, the American one apparently got blighted. It's crazy yeah. to think about that. I mean, and what's crazy is that it still exists. If it comes up out of the ground, it's like, nope. Right. Yeah. Blighty blight. Yeah. You can't have that. So crazy. Very cool what they're doing down there at Chestnut Hill. Absolutely agree. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Huntland Show is brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. They now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters, and also by Alabama Farmers Co-op. Alabama Farmers Cooperative has been serving gardeners, farmers, and everyone in between for 85 years. Visit www.alafarm.com for more information and to find a co-op near you. And also brought to you by Patanas Defense. The Patanas Defense PD Pro Ultralight Ultra Compact Night Vision System. Simply the best.
best-in-class night vision systems ever built. Contact FatanasDefense.com to learn more. Fatanas Defense, Masters of Darkness. And also, Great Days Outdoors, the South's finest hunting and fishing magazine. Pick up your copy wherever magazines are sold or check them out at GreatDaysOutdoors.com. And also brought to you by MB Ranch King. MB Ranch King hunting blinds and feeders are built to last right here in the USA. Call Kevin today for more information or a quote at 205-807-2937. MB Ranch King, built in the pursuit of perfection. And also by First South Farm Credit. First South can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. To find out how First South can help you, visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They are an equal housing lender.